This is Crescent Project Radio, bringing you powerful testimony, practical teaching, and exciting truth about God's miraculous movement in the Muslim world and how we as Christians can join Him in this kingdom work. Our goal is to see every Muslim have an opportunity to respond to the gospel and be connected to a true follower of Jesus. You can find us online at crescentproject.org. Have a comment or question? Email them to radio at crescentproject.org. We would love to hear from you and have a chance to respond on a future program. Hi, I'm Rashida, and you're listening to Crescent Project Radio. This is part two of my conversation with Chris Clayman, co-founder and associate director of Global Gates Ministry and author of Super Plan. So Chris, we left off with you talking about your family's move to New York City to reach out to West African Muslims there. And since moving there, you've made five trips back to Mali. Can you talk about what you discovered through those trips, how those trips were different from your previous trips and the doors you saw God open? Sure. So one of the things we noticed living in Harlem at that time, uh, there will be all these West Africans that are on the phone all day long. Like, who are they talking to? And we realized uh, their conversations with them, they're 90% of the time talking to family and friends back home. And from their little street vending stands on the streets of Harlem or uh, car washing jobs or restaurants, commuting, whatever, they were shaping African society from New York City. I'd actually met village chiefs of villages back in Africa that lived in New York, mayors of towns in Africa that lived in the United States, people that were funding schools hospitals, clinics, electricity projects, things that were happening from places like Paris and New York that the government wasn't providing in West Africa. And I thought, wow, this is kind of messing with me a little bit. This is very different. And so when I went back to Africa, I had one of my friends, I call him Zumana in my super plan, A Journey into God's Storybook. And Mm -hmm. Zumana said, you know, when you go back to Mali, don't worry about a thing. I'll take care of you. And I knew one of the reasons I wanted to go back is because often the people in New York uh, left their their wife or wives and children uh, back in West Africa and were here. They thought they'd be here for one year, two years, and that becomes three, four, five, and so forth. And Muslims in particular, but a lot of people around the world, important decisions are not made individually. Uh, Truth is seen as what the group believes. And it's very important for people to even consider some big life decision, like becoming a follower of Christ or believing the Bible is true, that that's not done on an individual basis, but with the group involved. And so I knew that even to be effective in, in sharing Uh, the gospel in New York, I needed to be involved in their lives in West Africa or get other uh, people involved in their lives in West Africa as well. And Mm so uh, Zumana said, don't worry about a thing. I'll take care of you. I didn't know what that meant because Zumana was a car washer from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. He would leave that job, sleep for two hours, then go look at at a store for 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. on the street, watching the merchandise as like a security guard. He slept normally two to three hours a day, 
and then he'd have one day where he would just crash and uh, just make up sleep and cooking and washing and everything else. And I thought, wow, you know, out of all the people in New York, he's towards the bottom end of the totem pole of of what you think is uh, someone who, you know, has a nice job. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? You know, you're going to take care of me. And so I went with it, whatever that means. Uh, he's my friend. And so I, I show up at the airport. The secretary general of the largest political party in Mali picks me up in his Mercedes. All right. <laughs> so it turns out that's uh, one of Zumana's contacts. We, he drops me off at his home. Uh, not built with any loans, but it was the largest home in this middle-class neighborhood of the capital city of Mali, which is called Bamako. Uh, He had completely paid that off already somehow. He had a first wife on the first floor, a second wife on the second floor, status for many Muslim Malian men. The second wife was a, a strong businesswoman herself, had just got back from Dubai that day on a business trip, had her Mercedes parked inside of their compound. There were great walls around this place. And they take me the next day to the big craft market of the capital city. And it turns out that Zumana owns the largest craft business in the large craft market of the capital city, has dozens of people working for him. This very important looking person walks in while I'm there and says, hey, you're friends with Zumana? I said, oh, yeah, he's my good friend in New York. He said, I am the president of the Export-Import Association of Mali. Zumana used to be the vice president of the Import-Export Association of Mali. Find out Zumana owns other properties he rents out for income. That was my car washer friend. And I realized uh, this word that they say in Bambra, uh, the people who set foot in New York, the moment you set here, you became become a Mogulbah, which uh, if I were to translate that in English, you become a big daddy or a big mama. <laughs> as soon as you step foot here, you become a very influential person back home uh, and here. And so through these big daddies and through these big mamas, I realized they are not just sending money back home. If the, the greatest value in many Muslim societies around the world is solidarity with the group, you know, that to be whatever is to be Muslim and this and that, the Mughal Baz, these big people, are reshaping what that solidarity means. They are are taking the the outer parts of that solidarity and sending back to their home. It is okay to think this. It is okay to do this. It's okay to do this. And Zumana would tell his family, they would send these greetings with me and they say, hey, uh, this is a Christian guy. Now, I know we have our thoughts of Christians as Muslims, but I've been learning a lot here in New York, and I want you to listen to what he has to tell you especially listen to what he tells you about Jesus. We need to start getting close to these people. Now, it is one thing to go as, you know, worldwide speaking, Americans are filthy rich. And on the development side in the world, West Africans are towards the lower end of development. All the, uh, most of the least developed countries in the world are in West Africa. As soon as an American sets foot in West Africa, there is a a skewed relationship often from the very beginning because of the perception as to who Americans are and and what they can give and so forth. It is very different, say, from going into a village and 
as an American Christian and feeling that there has to be some sort of development project to be there and that skews the relationship. Those things still need to take place. But we realize there's something new God is doing through migration and technology that is connecting people uh, so well that they become a new entry point, a new beachhead for spreading the gospel around the world to least reach peoples and places. And it's very different sort of access you get when a big daddy or big mama says, listen to the, what this person tells you. Yes. Uh, it is very important that if you just kind of go and forge a relationship yourself at a very cross-cultural level. Uh, another illustration of this, or maybe a couple, when I used to live in a middle-class neighborhood, never met a homeowner when I lived in Mali in that neighborhood. The homeowners lived abroad. They were so busy. They came home in their vehicles. I had security guards outside. I just never met a homeowner when I lived in that neighborhood. In that very same neighborhood I used to live in, in Bamako, before I moved to the Wasalu, I have met at least a dozen homeowners in that neighborhood who I met in New York City. So in order to meet the main big daddies and big mamas of my neighborhood in Bamako, I had to go to New York. I didn't know them when I lived in their neighborhood. Uh, we also worried about our visas getting renewed because it's a Muslim country, and here we are seeking to share the gospel with people and you know love people in Jesus' name in whatever way was useful. And so there was a guy who hated missionary presence and, and Christian workers in the country. And so he would never renew your visa. You'd actually play this game or you'd call the visa renewal office and say, oh, is Muhammad working today? Oh, yes. Do you want to greet him? No, no, no. Thank you. Thank you. And you'd hang up because that was the guy <laughs> that would never renew your visa. You call the next day. Is Muhammad working today? They said, oh, no, no. It's okay. Do you want to leave a message? No, 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 no. Thank you. And you'd hang up and you'd call all your friends and you'd go get your visas renewed that day. <laughs> like that's what you had to do. But just by being in New York, you meet people you wouldn't meet otherwise. Uh, people of influence in their home country, everyone's a person of influence in the diaspora here. And so you just meet them and, and become friends with them. So I, uh, I knew the consul general. I knew the ambassador to the UN. Uh, they, we've been to each other's homes and events, and these are Muslim people. Uh, yet one day they said, hey, you're, you're going to Mali? You know, come here. And they, they know exactly who I am, they know what I do, and they gave me a free visa to Mali for five years, which would cost me probably seven, eight hundred dollars at that time, and just said, you're, you're a child of Mali, there's no reason you should pay for this. And so just a, the stark difference between being among these big daddies and big mamas and the access it gives you to different people and places, even back overseas, I realized there needed to be a paradigm shift for me uh, in missions, that the gospel needs to be in this channel, uh, this gateway of big daddies and big mamas, and it will naturally spread around the world. Exactly. And so that brings us to Global Gates. So can you tell us why it was founded and what is its mission? Sure. So my first few years here in New York, about half of my time was spent researching the ethnic groups and particularly the, the unreached people groups of, of Metro New York, but really all immigrant groups that were here. I did a book called Ethnicity, the Nations, Tongues, and Faiths of Metropolitan New York on that. And that became as equal of a calling as my, my calling to West Africans, because I realized there were so many unreached peoples here. I mean, well over 4 million 
in the metro area. And compared to what you think would be happening, because there are a lot of Christians in America, even a lot of Christians in New York, there were many, many unreached peoples here that could live their whole life and not hear the gospel, have a genuine relationship with a, a Christian. And so just knew we needed to, to change that. There needed to be, we needed to raise the missions climate in New York City, where people mm-hmm. saw the strategic opportunity that was here. And so understanding of the needs among Jews and Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and Sikhs and all of those on this end, but my experience with the West African Muslim population in the city as well as back overseas, just realized that we live in a new age and a new time. And as one pastor friend said, you know, even Global Gates, this organization we ended up starting, is an, is an idea whose time has come. Uh, really, over the last 20, 30 years, because of migration and technological developments, we can connect through much of the world, even the, the very unreached areas and peoples of the world through cities. Even my mud hut, no electricity, no running water village uh, among the Wasalu, they still don't have any of that, yet they all have cell phones. Now, I don't understand how that just kind of got bypassed, uh, but they all have cell phones that they charge mm-hmm. with car batteries and they are connected to cities. And I just realized this is what God is is doing. And I had a, another friend named Brad who had just come back from his experience in Southeast Asia and was wrestling with the same thing. And existing, especially during that time, it's starting to really change. There weren't there wasn't a whole lot with mission organizations and Christian churches and denominations seeing the world as, as flat, uh, seeing how it's all connected. There was this dichotomy of the mission field is always over there, and here is where we kind of integrate people into our existing churches, and mm. not realizing that businesses realized this a long time ago of how you know these different cities are maybe more connected to one another than even the rural areas of these countries are to the city. We, we realized we need to start a mission organization whose sole f- focus is to learn best practices around the world and raise the mission's climate and deploy laborers uh, through these strategic, what we call gateway cities, where there's a nexus of many unreached people groups, but also a nexus of many immigrant Christians who might be nearer in culture or sometimes the same culture, people like Musa, uh, mm-hmm. so that we can we can share the gospel through this new means that God has given, this new gateway. So our, our vision is to reach the ends of the earth through global gateway cities. Uh, really, the Lord has brought the ends of the earth near through all of these, these means. And so we started in 2000. Uh, 12, and now we have maybe missionaries in around 25 cities and six or seven uh, countries with this with this vision of seeing the ends of the earth reached, and we're seeing the, those connections made. Wow, that's incredible! Can you tell us some of those uh, cities and countries? Sure, and and it's pretty fluid because <laughs> this is how kind of migration and everything works. Uh, so, a couple stories. Two or three years ago, there's a, a Wolof woman who comes to Christ through ministry in, in New York. There's a, a friend of mine named Yusuf. I also tell his amazing story of not only conversion, but how he has become an effective evangelist among Muslims in and through the city. 
okay. seeing well over 100 Muslims come to Christ here in, in New York. There's a Wolof woman who came to Christ, had an amazing dream, vision, you know, healing story. There are maybe two to 300 known Christians among the five, six million Wolof in the world. And there's a particular sect of Wolof. It's an ethnic group and a, and a language uh, mainly from Senegal and the Gambia. There's a sect of Islam that many of them practice called Maridism, where their founder is this anti-colonial hero that is almost like a messianic figure, saying he walked on water and did a lot of things that, that, that Jesus did. Uh, and many of those are even more resistant. So even among the two or 300 Wolof, there aren't many mm-hmm. Marid background Christians. Well, she was Marid uh, background. And just not through any great strategy or, hey, you've got to do this or system we had, but just as naturally happens, she started sharing what God did with her with friends and family around the world. And just in the last two years, there are maybe 15 to 20 family members and friends in Florida and Canada and Italy and France and Senegal who have come to Christ through her influence. Uh, Even like Islamic sorcerers have (laughs) called and asking for prayer from Yusuf, a pastor friend in New York. And Mm -hmm. the father of the family says, our family has been so divided and infighting and all these problems. And because of Jesus, our family is now reconciled today entire family goes to church together on Sundays. And this woman's sister in Senegal recently claimed, I gave my testimony at church this last Sunday. You see, I'm becoming a minister. All this happened through one woman coming to faith in Christ in New York. And now, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, two to 300 Wolof with hundreds of missionaries working among them over the last 40 years. And just through one woman, you see 15 to 20, you know, coming to faith in a matter of a year or two. There's an, a Rohingya man who comes to faith in Austin, Texas, a few years ago. Rohingya being this persecuted group that's coming out of Burma, Myanmar, into Bangladesh. They speak Bangla. Uh, they're Muslim people. This man comes to faith in Austin, Texas, and through some of our missionaries in Texas, they're connected to movements of Muslims coming to Christ in Bangladesh of a related people, the Bengali. And so they bring down some Bengali believers to share with this Austin guy's family in, who fled Myanmar into Bangladesh and take 70 of these Muslim background Christians to share the gospel. Well, thousands of people make some sort of decision to follow Christ, but they were you know, not not wanting to stop there. They wanted to say, who's willing to share with others? And there are around 15 of these, however many made decisions to follow Christ, who actively were sharing the gospel with others within a week of coming to faith in Christ. And within a matter of a year or two, there were 550-something Rohingya baptized as followers of Christ. (laughs) It all started with a guy in Austin, Texas. And I mean, there's story after story through social media and other things that uh, people are being able to leverage for the the share of the gospel. You never know who that neighbor is or who that store owner is or who that uh, guy filling up the gas tank is. (laughs) You never know who they are. They're a big daddy and big mama that could be influential for really pioneer frontier missions around the world. So we're beginning to see that and Mm -hmm. just wanting to get that get that flow of the gospel through those natural means. That's so exciting and really incredible. And 
it's another paradigm shift, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So you've spent years ministering to Muslims. Um, can you share some insights with our listeners about outreach to Muslims and just, I guess, sharing the gospel through our lives and, and through our words? Sure. Yeah, many many Americans in particular, American Christians even at that, uh, are afraid of Muslims. We we live in a world of fear. We actually spread fear of Muslims. It's easy to make an enemy of someone you don't know. And reality is Muslims and really other unreached peoples are, are everywhere in North America today. Uh, easy to access. I mean, just even small little little towns will have some people from some of the most unreached people groups of the world get to know them. And that's where it starts. We often, as American kind of workaholic, task-oriented people, we think, I've got to go give them something. I have to minister. I have to share this canned gospel presentation, whatever it might be. But in that, we're not actually wanting to hear from them or have a relationship with them or, or learn from them. It mm -hmm. starts with getting to know them. And so one a simple thing that we'll we'll tell people to do is listen to their story. You listen to their story, then you tell your story, because people are often interested in the Bible or Jesus through a relationship or something they see in a Christian. And people can't really fight with your story. They can fight about doctrine. They can argue about doctrine, but they're not going to argue with your story. So talk about something relevant to Muslims from your own life. And maybe mm -hmm. you grew up in church and like you came to faith in Christ at seven years old. and It's not going to relate well to Muslims. We'll talk about, talk about how God helped you through a difficult time in your life or something that Muslims could relate to. Share that story. And by them telling their story and you listening and you telling your story, you'll often have an opportunity to share God's story, the Jesus story. And it can be very simple of, hey, man, you're, you're Muslim and I'm Christian. You seem like a very good person. You might even be a better person than me. And one of the very common things with Muslims is, you know, they, they really seek, the, the typical Muslim is seeking God, trying to, to make sure they're doing the right things and on the straight path to God, which they'll say every day in their prayers. They'll say, hey, do you know for sure you'll go to paradise? And most often they'll say, well, no, no one can know that. Only God you know, knows that and say, Man, you, you might be a better person than me. But what I do know is that God really desires all of us to go to paradise, but we can't do that in our own way. Uh, he does give assurance that we can go, but it has to be done in his way. Here's what I've learned. And you're really just having a conversation that, that comes out of a posture of being concerned and having a, a loving relationship with someone Instead of, you know, here's my doctrine, here's your doctrine, and we go back and forth, and I try to destroy you so that um, somehow that's going to win you to, to Christ. Um, and Muslims, maybe more than any other group in America, love to talk about religion. You know, in America, we talk about, don't, don't talk about religion, don't talk about politics. The reality is the people that are, that are the most unreached groups of the world, there are two things that they almost always love to talk about, and it's religion and politics. <laughs> and so if there's any issue, 
any fear there, any reason the conversations aren't happening, it's on our end. It's not on their end. They, they'll respect you more if you go and you tell them you know, what, you, what you believe. But you need to enter into their world. And so practical ways you can do that, if you've got a regular job and maybe if you don't have a Muslim coworker or a neighbor or something like that, you can go buy rice from Walmart or Target or your local grocery store. Maybe there's a, a Pakistani place or a, an Arab little storefront, you know, grocery store that's going to sell the same thing. Why don't you just things that you can work into your everyday life, go and do it in those settings to create these natural opportunities of you being light in the midst of areas that need the, the light of Christ. And you just are able to, to be present. Uh, and through that, you get to know people and you get to little drop nuggets of uh, spiritual truth and stories and offer to pray. I mean, one of the very effective things you can do, I I don't know if I've ever experienced personally a Muslim refusing for me to pray for them in Jesus' name. I have heard of it a couple of times. I remember one time a guy uh, with one of our volunteers here said, this Muslim guy, he, he wouldn't let me pray for him in Jesus' name. He says, no, I can't let you do that because when you Christians pray, God answers it. And so he, he wouldn't let me, let me pray. And there was another guy who just, you know, didn't want it. But more often than not, almost every time, a Muslim will want you to pray in Jesus' name. Uh, they actually will, will see the power of Jesus in the Quran itself. And they, they, they know Jesus is a miracle worker, one who heals, one who even raises the, the dead to life. And they welcome the prayer. And they've seen the testimonies and heard the testimonies of God answering Christians' prayers. And so I would, I would just go in and say, hey, how can I pray for you? You know, if you could see God, you know, really work in your life right now, what would you like to see? And through that, those spiritual conversations begin in which you can kind of drop the stories of God's word into their lives as you go. So I was eating at a, a Muslim restaurant once and this guy came up and I greeted him in his language. He says, oh, this is so, so great. You know my language. I wish I could learn English, you know, like you speak my language. And he says, oh, it would just be so much easier if we could all speak the same language. I said, oh, that's interesting. And so there are these situations that you find yourselves in where it naturally lends to a story from God's word. I said, do you know why there are many languages? And I just began telling the story of Babel to a group of 10 Muslim men that ended up gathering around my table in a Muslim restaurant. And uh, some people received uh, kind of portions of God's word after that. You find yourselves in those situations where you can just naturally speak in how God's work can speak into to something naturally taking place. Uh, so enter into their world. You know, there, there are some Muslims who come to faith through apologetics. You know, that's a big word for kind of learning, uh, you know, arguments of what they believe, what you believe, and why what they believe is wrong and why you believe is right. There are some Muslims who come to faith that way. But honestly, there have been thousands and thousands of Christians from a Muslim background around the world that have been interviewed. I said, why did you come to faith? You know what's not at the top of that list ever? <laughs> Apologetics. Uh, at the top of that list is usually, there was this Christian woman. There was this Christian guy. And mm -hmm. I 
I just saw that there was something different there and I wanted to know more about it. Or I really tried to mess them up. <laughs> but they kept on responding to me in love and forgiveness. And I needed to know more about it because I didn't have it. Yusuf, whose story I tell in Superplan, he said, I went to boarding school and I I was placed in a same room with a Christian guy. Now I came from a Muslim village and I'd never heard of a Christian. And so I tried to I tried to get him to get upset and angry and just like I would react, but instead his love conquered me. I thought, oh, what, what a great way to, to word it. So these Muslim background Christians, they, they come to faith because of initial interest in the lives of Christians. Another reason they come to faith in Christ initially is because they experience prayer, healing in the name of Jesus, or they have a miraculous dream about Jesus that points them to a Christian to tell them the truth. I've known many Muslim background Christians, hundreds, I'd say probably half, have had some sort of dream or vision about Jesus at least. And then there are some that have a dissatisfaction with Islam, and that's one of the main reasons they're interested in becoming a follower of Christ. And so the best evangelists and missionaries I've ever met aren't the ones that just talk a lot or you know, know apologetics you know, really well, they're the ones that ask the best questions. The best evangelists are able to see how God is at work in someone's life or how God's word speaks into their lives and their current situation and really be able to lift up, you know, maybe where there's some dissatisfaction with Islam and what they're searching for and how God really provides the answers for them. And so be a good question asker, you know, as you reach out to Muslims and see how God's word speaks into that. Awesome. Those are some really great nuggets of wisdom. So if someone wanted to learn more about Global Gates or participate in a short-term trip in one of the gateway cities where you're working, what would you tell them? You can go to our website. It's globalgates.info, globalgates.info. There are all sorts of inspiring videos and resources and opportunities to join uh, short-term trips. Uh, one of the things that we'll do is instead of coming here and building a building you know, or something like that, you know, you can't do that in New York anyways, uh, we train people in, in how to go and do this sort of thing and share the gospel in a relevant way to Muslims. And uh, whether it's New York or Houston or Toronto, Bay Area, uh, there are a variety of places we'll offer uh, some training in specific weeks where you can come and, and learn how to be present uh, with Muslims and share it in a relevant way. And we've found that when people have that experience, they often have the confidence to go back and do that wherever they're at, whether it's a college campus or their neighborhood or you know, whatever city they live in. So you can go to globalgates.info to check that out. Great. Well, this has been a really encouraging conversation, and I just want to thank you, Chris, for your time and your willingness to share on Crescent Project Radio. Oh, absolutely. And, and if you're wondering, you know, what, what does it mean for me to enter into God's super plan? I would encourage you to also look at thesuperplan.com. That's our book's website, thesuperplan.com, and go to resources and next ideas. 
And there are a lot of practical ways there that you can begin to kind of shift your mindset of, you know, a self-evaluation of where do I spend my time, money, and energy, and what's my unique role in God's super plan and how I can begin applying this in my life. So check, check that out at thesuperplan.com. Chris, would you mind closing us in prayer? Oh, no problem. Uh, Lord, I, I pray for anyone listening uh, that they would be inspired by you, uh, that you, for whatever reason, have called us to be a part of your work. Uh, this is not our work. Uh, this is your work of redeeming a multitude from every tribe, tongue, language on earth. And for whatever reason, you invite us to be a part of that. You don't need us, but you choose us. And so, Lord, everyone that's listening to this, help them to uh, take whatever next step they need to take to orient their lives more for uh, leaving behind their world to live for your story instead of just inviting you into their lives and their comforts and their securities and their vocations or whatever it might be. Let us put our yes on the table and just follow you wherever you lead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Crescent Project Radio. We believe we have a hope worth sharing. Learn more about Crescent Project online at crescentproject.org, where you can find all of our previous podcasts featuring testimonies from former Muslims, teaching and apologetics, interviews with ministry leaders and book authors, along with commentary on current events and ministry news. Email us your comments or questions to radio at crescentproject.org. Stay connected by subscribing to our bi-monthly email, Call to Prayer, which is focused on prayer for the Muslim world. We hope you'll join us again next time on Crescent Project Radio.